Welcome to the Christian Life Church Podcast. We hope that you enjoy and are encouraged by this week's message. And if so, we would love for you to visit clcwinnipeg.ca to get further connected with our ministry, to submit a prayer request, or to find out how you can take the next step in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Christian Life Church Winnipeg. And we pray that you would be blessed through the message you're about to hear. The last few weeks, uh, we've been doing a, a teaching series called Just in Time. And I want to talk today about, is this your time? Uh, so this teaching series has, has been based on uh, a book in the Bible uh, called Esther. And I just want to recap where we've been, just in case uh, some of you haven't been following along. Maybe this is your first time listening. So the story uh, that we've covered so far is, is uh, about a young woman uh, by the name of Esther, who was an orphan, who was raised by her cousin, Mordecai and through some various circumstances she ended up becoming the queen uh, of of uh, Persia uh, King Xerxes was was uh, was the king now Persia is what we would call Iran today and she was herself a Jewish woman her cousin Mordecai being a, a, a Jewish exile uh, said to her, you know, keep, keep it close to yourself that, that you're Jewish. Don't tell anybody. Uh, just go and, and be the queen. And so Mordecai used to position himself outside the king's gate just to uh, kind of check up on his, his cousin Esther, see how she was doing as the queen. And, and one day he heard about a conspiracy uh, to kill the king. He reported this. Uh, the conspirators were put to death. And as a result of that, a high up government official was highly esteemed and uh, kind of given a promotion. And this guy's name was Haman. And the king actually made this, this rule that if, if Haman was in the king's gate, you have to bow down, you have to honor him. And Mordecai simply refused to do this. So um, Mordecai hear, or, uh, Haman hears about this and he is ticked off. He is angry. He is wanting revenge. And so he thinks, you know, I think I should maybe get, get Mordecai killed. But not just Mordecai. Let's wipe out all the Jewish people. Let's get rid of them all. And so he comes up with this, this plan that um, he's going to put uh, the equivalent uh, in today's money uh, some some uh, people think that it was the equivalent of $4 billion. Uh, others uh, say, no, it's more like $420 billion, you know, like half a trillion, I don't know. But it was billions of dollars that would go into the king's treasury, presumably plunder from the wealth of all of these people that they were going to be putting to death. The king says, no, uh, don't do that. You don't need to worry about that. Um, I'll just sign the edict and, uh, and you can do with these people what you want to do. And so the plan was put in place and uh, it was going to be 12 months from then that all of the Jewish people would be put to death. Now this is really 
really bad news for the Jewish people. And I don't know how you would respond, but if somebody put out an edict that, uh, that, that you were going to be put to death, I think you would be terribly upset. I would be terribly upset. And so it kind of causes us to ask a question. And the question is this, when, when you receive bad news, how do you respond to it? When, when you hear bad news that maybe it doesn't affect you directly, how do you respond to it? Is, is the response different? I think most of us would say, if we were to be really honest, yeah, it is slightly different. If, if it's far away, if it doesn't directly affect me, I can easily forget about it and move on and, and just kind of, well, that's too bad for them. Well, I want to, um, I guess, share a few thoughts with you today from the book of Esther, chapter 4. In the first verse of Esther, chapter 4, uh, when Mordecai hears news of this edict that had been passed, it says that he put on sackcloth and ashes and he wept and he wailed and he mourned. And then it goes on to say in verse 3 that basically when, when all the Jewish people heard about this in the region, they too uh, wept and, and wailed and mourned at this terrible news that they were going to die. Well, the reality is when things go terribly wrong in our lives, we grieve and we mourn. And it's not wrong. You know, if you've lost a loved one, if, if you've lost a job, if, if you have lost a retirement savings, if, if life has gone terribly wrong, it's not wrong to mourn and, and to weep and to feel sad. I think God understands these emotions. In fact, in fact, it says in Ecclesiastes that there is a time to dance and a time to mourn. And, and there are different seasons in our lives when the emotions are negative and we are down. I read an article or heard an article this, this past week or so where uh, the experts, you know, were saying that our mental health has actually declined uh, during this time of isolation over the last couple of months. That makes a lot of sense because we're not made to be alone. We're not made to be far away from our friends and, and families. Uh, we like to touch. We like that interaction, a, a, a pat on the, the back, a, a, a shoulder, a hand on the shoulder, a hug, an embrace. We like that and, and we miss that. And I think as a result, yes, our, our mental health maybe has been declining somewhat. In, in fact, to be really honest with you, I was just sharing with my wife last night that, man, I just don't feel like myself. And I don't know what it is. I, I feel a little bit more irritable. And, and, uh, and she was, uh, yeah, that's, that's right. You are really irritable. Um, a, little, a little less patient. And, and just realizing that, you know, life isn't really normal. And it does have an effect on how we feel and on our emotions. And, and so obviously we, we take steps to, to curtail that or, or to deal with it. 
It's okay to weep. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to grieve. Uh, these are seasons in our lives that, that we go through. And, and certainly it's demonstrated really clearly in the book of Esther with Mordecai and all the Jewish people that upon hearing this terrible news, they grieved hard. They grieved hard. Well, we've been grieving about something else uh, this past week. And if you've been following the news, you, you've obviously heard about uh, this whole incident down in Minneapolis where uh, George Floyd died. And um, a police officer apparently had his, his uh, knee on his neck and he was pleading for his life and he, he died. A terrible story. And I think it, it does cause collective grief national grief, international grief, when we hear such a thing happening. And a friend of mine by the name of Dan Tanyard, who is a lawyer in Saskatoon, wrote a riveting article that I asked him when I read it. I said, Dan, can I read this, uh, uh, parts of it, uh, this coming Sunday in my message? Because I said, it kind of writes my message. And he graciously consented and said I could. And so I want to read some excerpts of, of what Dan wrote. He said, I was watching a lengthier video on the killing of George Floyd, and I took a screenshot of the officer standing around as George Floyd's white life drains from his body. It seems outrageous to me. Three officers were fired, but all of them stood there doing nothing as George Floyd died. I think most of us would agree that it would be morally reprehensible for any three adult men to fail to come to the aid of a person being killed in front of them. But these weren't just any three adult men. These men had badges, sidearms, professional training, and a positive duty to protect the public. As I watched the video and I thought about this picture, I began to feel less outrage. And I realized that I could easily place myself in that picture. And why not? These three officers standing around while George Floyd dies are a perfect image of our culture of neglect, apathy, and willful blindness. I belong in that picture. And yes, of course, while this particular tragedy is almost certainly about racism, it is about so much more than racism. These officers are just putting the finishing touches on a skill that we've all mastered in varying degrees. And their outrageous culpability is not unlike my own. Or the complicity I and others share in the deaths of thousands of Canadian seniors in care homes. The death of many homeless men and women every year. Or the deaths of thousands upon thousands of unborn children. Or the routine deaths of the elderly dying in isolation, loneliness. And neglect. Many of us have learned to look the other way and even seem quite focused and concerned and responsible as we do it. Like you, I've become accustomed to hearing political and community leaders say in response to all sorts of human tragedy, whether by positive act or mere neglect, that's not who we are. Well, I'm sorry to say, but well, I'm sorry to say this, but isn't our failure to act a precisely accurate statement of who we are?
of us close up our hearts and wallets when a homeless person asks for money? Well, he was probably going to go and buy drugs or alcohol. Or he's going to get picked up by a Cadillac any minute now and driven back to his mansion in the suburbs, right? I know the excuses. I've used most of them one time or another. Perhaps I've even guessed correctly on occasion. Save some poor soul from an evening of drunkenness. And then again, perhaps I've guessed poorly. And maybe even one of those times I was someone's last hope. And it all ended after I walked away. We can do better. We must do better. But how do we take that from meaning, meaningless virtue signaling to a meaningful act of continuing grace? For my part, I have to start by recognizing myself in this picture and realizing that I've been standing around when some young woman out of despair and hopelessness has chosen to take the life of her own child. I have been looking the other way or crossing the street when someone actually does need 20 bucks to get across town to see his dying grandmother. And there are times when my honest prayer could be, yes, though I am walking through the valley or toward the valley of the shadow of death. I fear great evil and I haven't the slightest intention of going in there with or without thee. And if thou darest to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, I will use thy rod and thy staff to make sure everyone is practicing spiritual distancing and I will find a way to remain uninvolved no matter what. My guilt runneth over. The good news is this, Dan goes on to write, the love of Jesus is more contagious than COVID-19. Many people already infected by the virus of hate have struggled mightily to find a vaccine that will predictably and constant, consistently harden their hearts against the love of Christ. And thankfully, there is no vaccine and even the hardest of hearts is not immune. While not everyone infected by the gospel will experience life-altering symptoms of hope, faith, and love, I know that I get to choose whether or not I will die to self so that Christ can live in me. And I have a choice to make. I can sit here and be outraged at the tragic death of George Floyd, or I can take this as a personal wake-up call to a more infectious and sacrificial life. And I can take my own small steps to turn the life of George Floyd into an act of life-saving grace. But first, I have to put an end to my own practice of spiritual distancing. And so that kind of brings me to this point that it is a time for us to weep. It's a time to weep. It's a time to weep for our neighbors south of the border. But it's a time for us to weep in our own nation as well. To weep over the homeless. To weep over the families of the missing and murdered indigenous women who don't have a voice. And it's okay. It's okay to feel those emotions. It's okay to feel 
that kind of sorrow. And I think as Dan so eloquently put it, is it is a time to weep for our own complicity and silence when we've crossed the street or turned the other way. And it brings me to uh, another thought here today. It's a time to reflect. See, it's not just a time to, to weep, but it is a time for us to reflect as well. The past week, we, we, have, been neglect, we have been certainly reflecting on this issue with George Floyd, but I think something else happened that uh, was a little bit shocking to many of us, and that was the incident in, uh, in Central Park, New York City, where a gentleman was out... Um, bird watching and a woman was there with her dog and he had spoken to her something about her dog you know he's not on his leash or something like that and her reaction to that was to get on her cell phone and threaten to call the police and say that a black man is is threatening my life and I think it's a time for us to reflect that that number one that she even thought of doing such a thing and that she had it figured out that if she was to do that that somehow she would win and he would lose that she had the upper hand even though she was completely wrong and he was completely right that's a time to reflect it's a time to reflect about things that are completely unfair in many of our societies and cultures it's a time to reflect. It's a time to reflect on the fact that even though she was trying to produce a hoax, that in her mind she could get away with it. And he could end up paying the price. It's a time to reflect, I think, some of that behavior against the backdrop of Jesus' teaching. Here's a little bit of what Jesus said. In John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, a new commandment, not, not a suggestion, uh, not kind of a, hey, here's a, a cool idea, why don't you try this? No, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. Something Jesus said to us that we should reflect on. Here's something else that Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And I'm asking myself that question as I reflect this past week, as this has been weighing on my heart. If I was to be graded for my love for people, for my neighbor, What grade would I get? Would I get a passing grade? Would it be an A plus? I don't know. How do I how do I demonstrate my love to my neighbor? And, and maybe the question is, who is my neighbor? I think George Floyd is our neighbor. I think his family 
our, our neighbors. The homeless person, the senior, they're our neighbors. It's not just the person that has the address next to us. Who are our neighbors? And how do we demonstrate that love that Jesus was so adamant that we demonstrate to each other, to our neighbor? Our neighbor is the person we disagree with. Our neighbor is the person that we don't see eye to eye with. They're all our neighbors. They're all our neighbors. And so the response for us is to respond to a higher calling. And that's the calling of Jesus to love one another. To embrace each other as brothers and sisters. To love each other. And I think it's time, as Dan said in his article, to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to infect our hearts because there's no vaccine against that gospel. There's no vaccine against the love of Jesus Christ. It can really make a difference. Well, third thing I want to talk about is uh, a time to act. So we've talked about a time to weep. We've talked about a time to reflect. And then there comes a time to act. So we go back to the story of Esther. So Esther hears about uh, her cousin Mordecai weeping and wailing and mourning. And so she, she gets a hold of one of the king's eunuchs, a fellow by the name of Hathak. And he's there to kind of look after uh, the wishes of, uh, of Queen Esther to serve her. And she sends Hathak to Mordecai to say, hey, what's going on? She seems to be a little bit isolated in the palace from the reality of what's happening in the streets. And so Mordecai shows Hathak the king's edict and said, you know, we're going to die. And uh, he sends a message back to Esther through Hathak Go talk to the king and let him know what's going on. And so this message gets back to Esther. And she's like, mm, no, can't do that. Sorry, can't do that. Because there's this rule that you don't just approach the king. The king has a rule that if you approach, approach him and if he does not extend his golden scepter toward you, you will be put to death. And there, there was no exception to this. This also applied to the queen. So she couldn't risk just going and talking to the king. It was a risk. It was, it was a chance that she wasn't willing to take. Even though this is her, her cousin, the one who took her in, the one who raised her, she wasn't willing to risk her life even though his life was going to end for sure. Well, this gets back to Mordecai. And he has one of these, I can just imagine him almost having a meltdown. Like, are you kidding me? Are you telling me that, that you're not going to approach the king? Are you serious? 
And Mordecai would have nothing to do with that. There's no way that he was going to accept that as an answer from his cousin. It just wasn't going to cut it. And so he sends back a stronger message. A really strong message. And he says this. You can't remain silent. People are going to die. You're going to die. Because you're Jewish. That was the essence of his message. And then the Bible says, Who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Esther, this is your time to act. This is your moment. This is why you might be where you are today. Because this is your moment. Wow, that is heavy. To think that you or I could be walking down a street and see a situation of injustice, of need, and have it ringing in the back of your mind that this might be the reason I'm here. This might be my moment. This might be my my opportunity to act, to respond. I might be called for such a time as this. And that was Mordecai's message to his, his cousin. Don't take this for granted. Don't overlook this situation, Esther. This is it. This is real. This is what it's all about. This is what it boils down to for you. It's your time to act. And so, really, what, <laughs> what Mordecai was saying is, Esther, there's no wiggle room here. There's no options. you got to go all in on this one. You've got to go all in. People need you. And she did. She did. She took the risk. She approached the king. And thankfully, she found favor in his eyes. And he extended the golden scepter and she touched it. And she lived. And the story is going to continue. It gets really interesting from here, so you want to be back next week. But I want to say this. Sometimes we need to step in and take the chance. Esther risked her life. To save lives. And so I asked myself the question. How many times. How many times. Have I said. Subconsciously in my own head. Why should I respond. Why should I do anything. This, this doesn't involve me. This doesn't matter to me. And maybe. The question. Needs to be changed too. Why shouldn't I respond? Why shouldn't I act? If I have it in my hand to give or to do, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? I have to admit, it's been kind of a, kind of a heavy week with lots to, um, 
lots to process. Lots of stuff happening that can really weigh on our hearts. And so as I kind of tie everything up today, there's a couple of takeaways that I want to leave with you. And I hope that, I hope it encourages you. That's my heart for you. So one of the, one of the takeaways that, um, that we have to consider is, is our world is in turmoil. And that's not a surprise to anybody. You know, we, we go through, we watch the, the, the news feed and, and it seems to be, well, there's this crisis. And then almost before that one is over, there's a new one. And then there's something else. And I'm not going to get into what the headlines are. I'll leave that up to you to figure out. But our world is in turmoil. It really is. And, and, and people are asking the question, where does it end? What's this all leading to? Um, is this the end of the world? Is this how the world ends? Is, is this how life is going to be? Is this going to carry on for 50 more years like that? I don't know. But we do know it's in turmoil. And if you were to think about the worst case scenario for our world, you'd have to go back to the end of the Bible. And uh, I saw a funny uh, meme this, this past week, and, and it was this lady appearing, kind of looking down the street. And she says, I'm looking to see what chapter in Revelation we're in this today. And I thought, yeah, that really sort of puts it all in perspective. People are wondering, well, what, what's happening today? How does this factor in to the end? Well, Peter is writing about probably the worst possible case scenario for mankind. And, and he says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So to me, that sounds like a really bad day for planet Earth. It sounds like the end. And I think it, it, it does describe the worst possible case scenario for humanity, as we know it. But it's interesting that Peter actually addresses this. And he says, so if this is what's going to happen, what should we do? What do we do? How do we live? You know, do you just give up? Do you just resign yourself to the fact that, oh boy, things are really bad? No. He says in verse 11 of, of uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, what kind of people ought you to be? And then he says, gives us a few suggestions. He says, well, First of all, you can look forward to a new heaven and a new earth because we are eternal beings. And the flesh may get destroyed, but your spirit lives forever. We have heaven to look forward to, a new heaven and a new earth. So we're not without hope. So he says, you can look forward to that, ultimately. And then he said, live holy and godly lives. 
Oh, what's a holy and a godly life? I think that's really emanating the life of Jesus Christ. And I, I said a few minutes ago, Jesus said, love your neighbor. Love your neighbors yourself. Love one another. I think that's part of living a holy and a godly life. Caring for each other. Not being taken in by scoffers and mockers. Living a holy and a godly life. Really living for God. There's other passages in the scripture that talk about end times. And you know what it says? It says, encourage one another. Encourage each other. And I have actively tried to be a voice of encouragement over these last couple of months because there are all kinds of people that are going to be like, hey, you know, this is happening and that's happening and this is a conspiracy and that's going to happen. It's going to be a second wave and a third wave, blah, 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 blah. All of this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? We don't need to be talking about that. Encourage each other. Give each other hope. Give each other something to look forward to today. Give somebody something positive, good to hold on to. And that is that God loves you. God's in control. God's got this. And he's not going to let go of you. He's absolutely not going to let go of you. In verse 9 of, of 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, God's not slow in keeping his promises. But he goes on to say, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone, to come to eternal life, to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants you to have a hope. He wants you to have hope of eternal life. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to know that you are in God's hands and no matter what happens, you have heaven to look forward to. That's good news. That's good news. And I want to invite you today, if you've never considered that Jesus loves you and that you can live a better life and that you can really love your neighbor and you can make a difference in this world with the help and the power and the love of God. You can say a very simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be my savior. Forgive me of my sins, of my shortcomings. I receive you today. I want to encourage you to pray that prayer. And if you did, let us know. Go to our website, www.clcwinnipeg.ca. We would love to hear from you. And I want to thank you for listening today. And I want to encourage you to be an encourager. I want to encourage you to live for God. I want to encourage you to, to be one who responds to needs and cares and loves your neighbor, cares for and loves your neighbor. God bless you.